0: Hey, yo, every time I hear some real hip-hop, man, I start thinking, yo, I'm still in love, man. Listen, uh, I'm in the booth like prison, lit like them. and music's like women, I'm whipped like a nymph. I love to keep it pushing, like the bass and speakers, love hearing hip real hip-hop and making heaters. Born entertainer, armed with the flamer, if they bust shots, when they come on, it's the singer to
1: Welcome. Uh this is here you are Wassaw. I'm one of the hosts, Dino. And I'm Eric. And uh so this is we, we started talking about this on our last podcast. Uh, a a topic came up and we sort of went, we'll just say, off the rails and started talking about hip-hop and and music. And then we were off and running. And over that time, we decided we should have a conversation about, or a series of conversations about our love of hip-hop music. Yeah,
2: I don't think it can be a one-conversation deal. I think we have to do it in a number of of conversations. And we talked about having uh, conversations with other people as well and seeing where their interests lie and how they fell in love with hip-hop over the years.
1: Right, so over the course of the podcast, uh, hopefully, because we haven't gotten any back yet, but we invited, I don't know, probably. I think I probably invited ten people altogether to uh, record how and why they fell in love with hip-hop. And so we'll we'll sort of intersperse th- if if we get any back because we're recording this on Monday and we have and I I said you know just get it back to me by Wednesday or Thursday, um, and if we get some back then we'll intersperse that in the podcast. If not, this whole section right here will just be for nothing. So.
2: And it'll be like hip hop records with right. all of their skits in the middle of songs.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: We'll just throw in a skit of somebody else. Right. They think.
1: Yep. So, all right. So, let, here it is. There's the question for you. How and why did you fall in love with hip hop?
2: Well, wow. I think we go back to seventh grade. Seventh grade, hold eighth on, grade. Hold on,
1: hold on. I just, I, I, I have to ask something. I don't even know the answer to this question. How old are you?
2: I will be 44 this month.
1: Oh, so we're the same age. Okay, so I'm 44. Yes. All right. I've never known.
2: Yeah, and to all of our <laughs> listeners, Dino and I have been friends for 15 years. Yeah, okay. That's, so, it's
1: fucking horrible. Okay. Thanks a lot. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus, it's going to be our
2: last podcast. Yeah, it's not going to be a series. <laughs> talking to your dumb ass. Anyway, so, yeah, it was eighth grade, and I was I went to a parochial grade school, and we went to a like a big, huge, statewide youth group sort of gathering in Washington, D.C. Oh. And it was one of my first times that I'd been away from home for a long period of time and I went to this big metropolis and uh, it was amazing, just in itself was amazing. And in one of the hotels someone was listening to The Fat Boys. The Fat Boys Are Back was the album. And I, when when uh, who was it, Cool Rock Ski? Yeah bust into the beatbox along with the rap and the beats I was I was sold I couldn't think of anything else wow. So yeah that is the first time I and it's been a love ever since Until recent years but that's that's a different conversation right, That'll
1: be a, that'll be another podcast so.
2: <laughs> But yeah that was my first time I
1: have it. I had completely blanked out the Fat Boys No
2: you can't do that
1: Oh god I was I'm so wrong what was their movies called? Orderlies?
2: Uh, disorderlies.
1: Disorderlies. Oh
2: my uh, God! Terrible movie. Terrible. Movie. I, they had a lot more influence on the music than people give them credit for. You know, they were they were foolish and they were uh, people like like Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince particularly owe a lot of credit to the Fat Boys because they were just they were goofy, right? And they did they, they did had no shame.
1: Right, they, they were Just, able to, to make it light. Right. Yeah, oh, man. Oh, my God, that's that's amazing. I had no... I have completely been blown away because I had forgotten about the Fat Boys. Oh, my God, the Fat Boys. That is... Oh. Because, like, they had a television show, too, didn't they? Uh,
2: I don't remember that. I think Prince Marky e. D might have been on a TV show okay. later in, in years after the Fat Boys were done, and he got into acting for a while. I think he was did sort of the heavy D route, and okay. he was in some movies. But oh, uh, heavy D, oh my God! Yeah. So it was, but th- but this music was so influential that I came back here, and I let my sister listen to it, and it's I became so much about hip hop that she took the Fat Boys song back to her school and she's two years younger than me okay. back to her and did sort of a lip sync talent show thing with a fat boys song oh my and it was one of the closest times i think that i can recall me and my sister being tight knit like that when we were kids was you know we would sit down and we'd figure out what all the lyrics were so that right. she could learn all of the lyrics and she and her three friends could go up and do this whole backwards hat you know high top thing yeah on stage and so it was it had a big impact on me
1: oh my god oh that's amazing wow
2: and then from there it went to the ymca dances i don't know if anybody listening has ever been to a ymca dance but when we were in the 80s the ymca used to put on these dances for kids young preteens i guess and uh they were chaperoned, but it was just kids running around like crazy and every once in a while some kid would show up with some mixtape that would have oh, I think there was someone that had UTFO on it. Oh my god. So that was the early stuff that I had heard as well. So it just sort of blossomed
1: from there. Oh How my goodness. Yeah. I'm blown away just by those two references. Oh. UTFO and now I feel like my I have to raise my podcast game up a little bit here because those two are you know remarkable references
2: well let's hear it what's what's yours where did you so,
1: where did you first fall in love so before we hear the story about how i fell in love with hip-hop we're going to hear from rob Menser about how he fell in love with hip-hop he's a local boy and a journalist at the wassa daily herald
3: Hey Dino and Eric. Uh, this is Rob Menser. I am standing outside my office on a sunny Wisconsin morning and I'm answering the question when and why did I fall in love with hip-hop? So I have a brother who is nine years older than me and what I remember is he came home from college. He's a big record collector and was always a uh, had a, a, a big music fan of, of of all kinds of music and had crates and crates of, of, of vinyl and he came home from college And I remember sitting in our living room and him playing records by Public Enemy and uh, and NWA, which is totally inappropriate for the age I was at that time. Uh, If he's nine years older, I I think I must have been, I want to say I was 11, uh, could have been 12, and... um, and I want to I want to remember third base, but I don't know if that's possible. Would there if he would have had third base records at that time? But that's that's the way I, it is in my memory. Um, and uh, um, and gosh, other other stuff too. Uh, but that sort of but, you know, with Public Enemy looming the largest and being the most uh, striking and amazing, th- listening to experience. Um, uh, and I remember. Uh, just being being amazed that there was music that sounded like this, and I started uh, trading tapes with friends. And um, my friend Jake Lohman was really into Boogie Down Productions, and I was into Public Enemy, and we would trade tapes and um, uh, sort of illicitly listening to uh, uh, NWA tapes uh, when my when my parents didn't know about it uh, as a, in junior high. So that was like junior high era. Uh, it was um, and it was like a window into another world. I lived in central Illinois, so this c- cornfield town. And um, I, you know, whatever. I'd visited Chicago. It wasn't like I was completely un, uh, unaware of um, urban life, or there, you know, there were black people at my school. It wasn't like I was unaware of, of um, uh, you know uh, the existence of diversity. But it wasn't my experience, and it wasn't directly what I lived. And so, uh, and so, listening to hip hop was like um uh unimaginably unimaginably exotic as it was for a lot of white kids this was the this was the era when the rise of hip hop was about um sort of titillating and uh, amazing suburban white kids and i was more of a, a, a somewhat of a rural white kid but it's the sort of the same difference um but what it what it also did was um uh, it, you were able to to just bathe in the the wordplay and the verbal dexterity and the amazing uh, uh, sounds and uh, and I loved it and I uh, completely loved it. I I fell out of touch with hip hop a little bit in high school when most of my friends were into punk rock and I and I uh, was into punk rock as well. Um, but I came back came back quickly uh, uh, after a couple years of of pretend to be just a punk rocker and. Um, and I have uh all kept a kept a hand in it and kept a love of the music. So it's a, it's it's my favorite. Unconceivable,
0: unbelievable, grandma like a hammer, information receivable sent by the Lord here and abroad with words for the
1: I first fell in love. so it's it's twofold. So I'm I I like to consider myself of the first wave of hip hop like yeah. from the beginning. And so my my very first moment of of remembering hip hop is on on MTV when we were in junior high and it was the Houdini video for The Freaks Come Out. Oh yeah. So this was before Run DMC. These guys were still dressed like the village people, for lack oh, yeah. of a better phrase, I mean, it was parachute pants, some sort of weird mariachi hat, <laughs> you know. There was a lot of leather and snakeskin and weird shit like that, and oh. so it was, you know, it was that sound of you know when the freaks come out, and I'm like, what the shit is that? And it was, and I was over at uh, Marcus and Angus Nelson's house,
2: sure.
1: So it was, you know. think i was at tennis lessons or some shit like that and the stiflers and me and jim byer we went over to the nelson's house and uh we had mtv on and that was that and then you know that memory kind of gets okay so that happens but then for me uh i quickly shifted gears as a young man to being an angry young skateboard punk rock child which led me into reading Spin Magazine starting in about ninth grade. And so Spin Magazine, in my estimation, is sort of the first magazine to document um, the birth of hip-hop. Like, there were, there were articles in Spin Magazine about the, the battle between MC Shan and KRS-One
2: oh that was a great battle
1: right there were there like I remember in the beginning i remember hip-hop before it left New york city like you had when we were young people we had to i th- i think we had to pick a borough you oh, know yeah. you yep. you know where who are you who are you with what's going on and for me it was it was always re- i mean i i picked queens and i'll t- and I can tell you why i picked queens because LL Cool J and Run DMC <laughs> were from Queens, so I'm like, well, those guys, those are the ones that I want to ride with. I want to go with those guys, and you know, it was Queens and Brooklyn and Staten Island, and then a few years later, Long Island changed everything for me. Strong Island changed everything for me, but you know, I I took sides in the Cool mode versus LL Cool J battle early on in my life. Oh yeah, I was I was able to as a young person discuss why i preferred ll cool j to cool modi even though even even at the time i sort of had a sense that i think cool modi is probably better lyrically but i'm 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 down with def jam this is this is what i do i i roll with rush so yeah you know. well
2: he was you know he was part of the treacherous three so. right He'd been around a lot longer than yeah, Alan.
1: You know, he was he was an old man, you know, and he did that <laughs> fucking cowboy song, you know. The, I mean, there's no doubting that The Wild Wild West is a great song. Oh, but, yeah. But, you know, you compare that outfit, because we were kids, you compare that outfit with shell toes and troop sweatshirts... And I'm. I'm sorry. I'm not putting a duster and a cowboy hat on, buddy. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that bad fashion trend didn't win, cool Modi. It just didn't win. So,
2: it didn't win for Houdini either.
1: It did not win for <laughs> Houdini. That was over quick. You know, but but that was you know, the, for me part a, a large part of it was sort of the visual. You know, like you know what Run DMC looked like. You know. What like a kangol hat? I was never gonna wear one. I mean, like my parents would have bought one for me.
2: Oh, know? I always, I always wanted one. Remember, there was a place in Stevens Point called yep. Hat Hat City. Yep. yep. And uh, it was about uh, what, like thirty, thirty-five miles away from yep. here, and we used to drive down there just to find kangols. Right. I probably bought one just because I needed one, and but yeah, never, I like, never wore it. I I would go, stupid in it, but
1: right, we would go as teenagers. We would go to Madison, and there was a hat. There was a haberdashery on State Street or whatever. It was that weird, I even remember it. It was like a house, and you had to walk up a staircase to get to the front door. Yep. And, uh, and it was like really fancy hats, like, you know, grown-up, I don't know what the hell. but um, And they had Kangol hats, and I every time I'd go down there, oh, no, I did buy a Kangol hat. Um, I'd stand there and just look at him like, I wish I was cool enough to wear that. Up next, we've got my friend uh, Brian Forbes. Bringing it heavy. Thanks, B, for doing this.
4: (laughs) August 10th, 2015, answering the question of when and why I got into hip hop music. My name is Brian Forbes, 41 year old, living in Chicago, Illinois, but representing Wausau, Wisconsin, the east side of 218 Sturgeonetti Road, John Marshall Elementary School, John Muir Middle School, Wausau East High School the when did I get into hip-hop music. The year was 1984, 1985. I was 11 or 12 years old. Fifth grade, John Marshall Elementary School. We were at the school forest, the camp counselors, two high school camp counselors by the name of Ed Hussar and Dave Lemke. Brought some mixtapes and started breakdancing in the cabin and doing all these great moves, all this funky music that was a fusion of all these things that I'd seen before. It was earth shaking, it was groundbreaking, it was different. It wasn't Def Leopard, it wasn't Twisted Sister, it wasn't White Snake, it wasn't Nelson. It wasn't Metallica or Guns N' Roses. It was something different. It wasn't it wasn't anything that anyone was listening to. The mixtape of Kings of Rap had Jam Master Jammin' by Run DMC. The Fat Boys, Can You Feel It? UTFO, The Real Roxanne, one of the first beef battle MC duos uh, between Roxanne Shante and uh, UTFO. It had The Sounds of the Mic by The Gifted Four. It had Rock On by The Mighty Three. Houdini, Five Minutes of Funk, just completely a different sound than what I had heard. So when was fifth grade, Wausau School Forest we brought that back as impressionable fifth and sixth grade boys. We'd go to the Wausau Center Mall and break dance. We had our, our crew, the BRC, the body rock crew, all representing the uh, south central Wausau of the John Marshall Elementary School area. And um, that progressed into middle school. We'd sneak into the John Muir dances. I would try and go as an eighth grader into the high school dances at Wausau East and break dance. But for me, really what that led to was a, an understanding. And it took years for this to form of this notion or or thing called b-boy which is um you know mastering four different elements of what people would loosely call the, the commercial term hip-hop. There's rapping and MCing. there's breakdancing, there's beatboxing, and there's graffiti. And I think for me, one of the things with hip-hop that draw the allure was not only the breakdancing, but it led to this cultural creation, this ability to create something, this ab- ability to be original, this ability to actually create a movement with a body, to create a movement uh, with a record scratching, to be able to create a movement by beatboxing with your mouth, to be able to create uh, um, different styles of rap, and that just drew me in my attention uh, for years as a 41-year-old now and, and and still listening to tons of hip-hop and and, and all different genres of hip-hop. And, and I think, you know, there, there can be a lot said for the Midwestern early 80s rise of hip-hop via the mixtape. When this stuff had already spawned and was already kind of moving way forward from 76, 78, 1979 on, starting in the South Bronx and making its way to, by 1984, to Wausau, Wisconsin. And, you know, John Muir dances, Wausau East dances, you know, us trying to DJ dances, I think, was a big was a big thing. So all in all, for me, hip-hop was about creativity. It was about self-expression. It was about the ability to take a bunch of disparate parts and make something that sounded very cool. of it, Visually, it looked great, graffiti-wise. Um, aesthetics, it looked pretty cool or sounded cool like a beatbox or an MC. And the ability to actually manipulate two records together. So for me, hip-hop was more than just music. It, it was almost a way of life. It was, it was, it was a defining kind of uh, uh, um, touchstone of something that, that had fostered this ability to want to be creative in, in my life, and in my mind. So with that, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to extol the virtues of hip-hop. And, you know, my three favorite albums of all time, tough, tough list to say, but three favorite albums. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give three favorite, and then I'm going to talk about three favorite crate diggers that people may not be aware of. Run DMC, Raising Hell, number one, just defining album. Um, a classic that, that, that you know, I think I wore out four or five different tapes. Eric B. and Rakim paid in full. Uh, the Lord Rakim, his voice, his lyricism defined what rapping was all about. And to this day can still define what it is. And I think, you know, when we look at hip-hop these days, they... they MCs really can't hold, hold a candle to them. There's a few of them, but we'll get into that debate. That's for another time. And then the group Tripult Quest, their low-end theory album, w- was w- was um, also kind of groundbreaking in terms of just bringing it more and more to the masses. We called that party-starting music. When you get the girls on the dance floor bobbing their head, the boys will follow. Is every golden rule that every DJ knows. And that was an album that did that. Let's talk about Crate Digging for half a second. Some unheralded albums that people may or may not be aware of. Uh, Warren G, everyone knows of him, but his first album, G Thing, was almost looked at as a mockery in West Coast hip hop when it was a time of gangster rap. And everyone knows uh, the documentary Straight Outta Compton with NWAs coming up, fabulous group also. But Warren G, a few years later, um, really started to define a new West Coast sound that was carried on. Um, De La Soul, Stakes Is High, an undervalued, underheralded album that um, I think everyone should listen to. Everyone knows the classic De La Soul. And then I'm going to talk about a group from the West Coast also at a time when gangster rap was dominating, and it was a guy by the name of DJ Aladdin, the 1989 DMC DJ battle competition. Um, Semi-finalist, I believe he got worldwide. He got first or second. And a rapper by the name of WC, DJ Aladdin, WC, encompassed the group Low Profile, had a short stint of one album called We're In This Together, and ironically enough, had a little lackey rapper with them on that album who says about 15 words by the name of Coolio. So there we have it. That's my take on um, hip-hop, why I got into it, when I got into it, why I'm into it. I think the expression of creativity, the expression of originality, the expression of being able to to create something either from nothing or manipulating records, manipulating your mouth, mouth via beatboxing, manipulating spray cans to create art was uh, a driving force for me. But I think when it just comes to straight hip-hop music, I tend to uh, glorify the golden the golden eras from '84 to let's call it '89, maybe '90. Um, Those were defining albums and defining time of hip hop during my life, and to this day I love it. You know, hip hop forever.
0: Thank you. I profess and I don't jest Cause the words I manifest They will take you, sedate you And I will stress upon you the need for You all to feed your minds and souls So you can lead yourself to peace I got a real objective here I am effective here Cause I (laughs)
1: selected God, you know, years later When I was working at the pub, actually I got, uh, uh I probably still have it, like a Kangol driving cap You know, like sort of a heavier version of a golf that shitty cap that golfers wear or for a while white dudes were wearing backwards Yep. you know so I got I got one of those still have it around you know I think that's you know I think that's an okay look for a 44 year old man at this point oh absolutely you know just not backwards so
2: see and I was Brooklyn and I'm still Brooklyn I don't know why where that came from probably the beasties right but Big Daddy Kane I was always a big bad, big, yep, big Daddy Kane right. fan Yeah,
1: see for me It was It was you. Know.
0: Come get some You little bum I take the cake But you can't get a crumb From Double poetic Authentic Superior Ultimate And all that good I'm the original Asiatic, acrobatic, there you have it, now like dramatic. Christmas.
1: It was Christmas and Hollis, you know, LL was from from Queens, so I was like, okay, this is it. Like, I knew, you know, now, I, you know, you sort of look back and you go, okay, who's actually from Harlem? Oh yeah, Nas was from Harlem, all by himself, you know, <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. So let's, so let's tie this back to Wausau, let's come back a little bit. And let's talk about let's let's not lament the death of record stores as a, every hipster podcast will do. So, when you were a young man, where did you buy? This is remember, everybody. This is before the internet. We had to look in things like ma- print magazines. Um, so, yeah. where where did you buy your tapes?
2: Well, or buy your, is buy single. is uh is yeah right. Buy is a. Uh, term I wouldn't necessarily use because okay. in good hip-hop fashion I hung around with criminals good for you so I didn't buy a lot of music I made friends with all of the people at music stores okay and would go in and shop whenever I wanted and usually that was Tape World
1: Tape World so where was just a Tape World floor
2: well, it was in the mall because I was a mall rat right it was just floor to ceiling cassette tapes on their spine so you could fit more. Yep. Just floor to ceiling. Okay. And it was I would spend hours in there just looking for everything that I could find. That and Camelot. I got all my my singles, my K singles from Camelot. Yep. Cuz I always wanted to be a DJ, so I always had to have the remixes. Okay. Yep.
1: There you go. Did did you ever hook up turntables and, and try? No. Okay.
2: No, I uh, DJed a few times at some of the local clubs here in Wausau Yeah. I played all of the music that was popular, but not that people in Wasa liked.
1: So right. I got fired. Yeah, exactly. You. Suck. I took
2: I took a Mary J. Blige single out of the plastic, and it had been huge on radio everywhere else for months. Uh-huh. This club had never taken it out of, of the rapper. So I took it out of the wrapper and I would play it all the time and they didn't like that because they didn't know the lyrics. People in this area like lyrics. They don't like beats. They don't want to hear MC Shan. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear about how Mars needs women. <laughs> <laughs> all right? That's what they want to hear. Oh so my God. it it was troubling.
1: But the, tor- the tortured club DJ, right there. Yeah, Mars I had, had fun. Women, yeah,
2: and I, I liked it. I—that's I, still one of my favorite songs. But it's just you can't—you can only play it so many times.
1: Right, right. And then Mars either got the women, or fuck Mars—they're on their own. Yeah. Or we need to
2: send some more women to Mars. Jesus you know, something. Mars needs but women.
1: right. So, so for me, uh, so it was—it was the dipping of the toe. In, the, in that sort of hip-hop world that went along with uh, Spin Magazine and sort of the, the angry, disaffected youth that I was and sort of still am. And then when I was 16, my world changed completely, and I skipped out of school to go buy Tougher Than Leather. No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Wait, yes tougher than leather at tape at the mall because I was so excited that run DMC was putting out a new record
2: yeah that's a great record I think I still have the 12 inch somewhere in the garage
1: yeah so I uh, yeah so that was and then that same year when I was 16 years old my ten year old brother and I went to See the Run DMC runs House World Tour. Nice. So it was the opening band was EPMD. Then there was a dancer of some kind. Then there was a band called Public Enemy.
2: I think I've heard of them.
1: Then it was DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Uh, and then there was Run DMC. And so it was at the Mecca. It was me, my 10 year old brother, Mario, and my friend, Steve Oswald. And we were the, what I'm going to guesstimate as the only white kids there. <laughs> so this was still during a time of tremendous, tremendously publicized hip hop violence. And uh, so it was, it was ugly for my mom. She was, like, sitting across the street at George Webb, waiting for it to be over to drive us home. But, uh... Public Enemy absolutely, absolutely changed my life that night. And I, and I, you know, I'm a white kid from central Wisconsin, and they were a militant black group, and, uh... But it was the sound of Public Enemy, and they they were... Going out on, they were beginning to launch their second record. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back, and uh, it. I had never heard sounds. I had never heard sounds like that. So, I I was completely blown away. And so after that, I was, I was all in. I was I was all Chuck D all the time. I knew everything. I you know, like I remember when professor griff made that horrible gaffe about oh, jewish yeah. people and i'm like oh no he didn't he that's not that's what right. he meant I, I became an apologist for griff and his anti-semitism and stuff and it was the sound of of that that just the sound of public enemy that just sounded horrible so um or that just sounded so powerful it blew me away um yeah I just it was great and I got my my music at uh, Camelot yep. like like I remember Camelot like I remember it like physically I remember it you know they would have the weird t-shirts and stuff oh yeah so
2: yeah it was so. like your classic record store there was uh, there's a guy still that I that used to work at Camelot that will still say hi to me when if I see him in the streets because I was in there so much
1: Wow, really that's cool yeah. I mean that's cool. I, I would and it, that. it turned
2: out that years later I ended up working at a job with the father of the guy that worked at the tape world place and he remembers me just because of his son talking about me, I guess I don't know if I'd met him a number of times or sure what the case was, but his son worked there yeah, I was a definite regular in those in those mall stores
1: so so how do you think so? Let's let's keep talking about was a little bit. So, what are the other record stores you remember in our lifetime?
2: Well, there's the Inner Sleeve, which is still around. You know, they sold a lot of vinyl, which was awesome, but never a lot of hip hop. They were more rock, classic rock based. There was a used CD store called Weeby CDs, which I liked late, a lot later in life when I was trying to read. Build a collection of music that I'd lost, and there was one near the four hundred block. Yep, there you go. Was that Weeby? No, nope, I can't nope. think of the name of it.
1: That was CD Exchange.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I was not living in town at that time, so I would only frequent it occasionally when I was when I was back in the area visiting.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, do you still own any tapes?
2: No. That's a long story, which probably okay. isn't really fitting for this, but I, in the course of my life, have thrown away two huge collections oh, of, right. like, those those big, you know, wall-hanging things that yep. they used to put cassettes in. They held 150 cassettes. Wyatt well, used to have two of them, plus a box full of cassettes, and, well, they were on their way out, so I either sold them or got rid of them, and stupid stupid move not a lot of foresight being the tech guy that i am
1: yeah you had a couple you had a couple of purges of your music inventory like early on you were you were an early adopter of the ipad or the ipod and sort of the digital format
2: right and there was no way to at that time there was no way to take those cassette tapes and put them into digital format so i figured well you know what's the point in keeping them right i'm moving to a different location i need to purge some things i I'm just gonna toss them out or sell them. Yeah. You know, do whatever I was gonna do. Well yep, that was the- I kick myself every day almost for that now. Yeah, and the second big purge had to do with the divorce and that wasn't sure. pretty. So um but yeah, so now you know, I spend my late nights on the weekends trying to find some of those tracks that I really liked.
1: I remember stuff that I threw out. I remember uh the the sitting at a coffee shop going through your CD collection in a suitcase.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: So I'm going, I'll just take all of this. You know, right. Because, yeah, but uh,
2: that's... The CDs were different because at least I was able to burn those. Right. See, <laughs> that I, was... see that. But then, you know, I've had iPads or iPods that have... Uh, hard drives have crashed and I've lost all of that stuff. So I've sort of given up collecting music now because it just seems like I lose it
1: for yeah, some dumb I, reason or another. Yeah, I'm, I am it's the only thing that I sort of consider myself an archivist for. It's that, you know, the the two sets of eight gigabytes of music, you know, just one collection, then one just offline completely. Yeah, I just... I'm nuts that way, so... But yeah, so, you but know... But thank
2: God for Google Play, because I don't have to worry about it. Right. I can just create a playlist oh. there and listen to all of it again. Oh, it's so
1: nice. Like, today, like... Today I found, the, or maybe it was yesterday, the DOC on YouTube, and I just lost my mind. (laughs) You know, like, I just... Like, I remember... I remember the birth of NWA. Like, this this movie, you know, to be fair, I'm not looking... I'm looking forward to it, because it's great, but I'm not looking forward to sort of seeing... I don't know, man. I mean, they were... Like, I... Do you remember the breakup of nwa
2: oh yeah it was ugly
1: when ice cube left and went to go work with the bomb squad and came back with america's most wanted yep and it just it's that record america's most wanted is just so defiant and you know like for me for me one of the things that i have a hard time with today you know i consider myself a feminist you know and so hip-hop doesn't really help me you know like just Ice Cube has a track on America's Most Wanted called Bitches you know and it's just a DJ cutting together the the word bitch from different hip hop tracks and it's like oh god oh god I can't you know this is horrible now but at the time it was awesome or like the rapper Yo-Yo remember Yo-Yo oh yeah you know yeah. or or uh and then at the other end of that JJ fad, <laughs> supersonic, you know, yep. or or here. So just since you since you dropped some, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back at you, you know, come back at your UTFO thing. Do you remember Audio Two? Of course. Okay, you know, of course. What was and
2: top case, villain?
1: Top villain, and was I one, like cherries? Was one of the guys' names Milk? Milk D. Milk D, okay, right. And he was brother or he his sister was who? MC Light. And their father was who? I don't remember. An executive at Motown. Well
2: there you go.
1: Right. So they came from that musical family. Then okay, so here we'll do it I'll do another one. Do you remember Canine Posse? Oh yes. You remember who That's he-
2: one of that's one of the things that I try to find all the time in my late nights. Can't find any canine posse.
1: This beat is military.
2: I would probably hate it now.
1: Yes, but. yes. That those guys in those ridiculous hats. Yep. But one of them was Eddie Murphy's brother. Oh really? Yeah. Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Not Murphy. Charlie. Yeah. Char- I think Come on, so. seriously. I think if you go and Google that, I, one of them is Eddie Murphy's brother.
2: Are you kidding? Oh my yeah. god! Right. That See, I'm gonna that's have to the look thing. up.
1: It's that. It's that. That stuff. Like, I mean, I re- I still own the tape. Uh, from ice tea Power his first well, record how about
2: Ryan Pace, no that wasn't his oh, first no, record that's right. that was his second record
1: right. so Ryan, Ryan Pace, Pace, Pace was an amazing
2: record. that was an awesome album, Power nice. was really good I but at 6 in the morning I'm always on 6 in the morning Police at My Door, this Fresh is- Adidas Squeak Across the Bathroom Floor oh that was the track
1: yeah. okay hold on here let me find his I want to make sure we're right yeah, okay, Ryan Pays is first. Yeah, okay, so let me look at the cover. Okay, yep, yeah, that's right. So I remember taking power to school. Nice. And having They appreciated h- that. And, right, and having to hide that because of the girl. You know. Oh yeah. And so what I'm just reading now is uh, Glenn Friedman is took that took that picture and glenn friedman was in the black flag crew so that's funny and to itself so he took the picture he took that picture oh my god yeah so wow yeah but uh yeah god that song i'm gonna buy that i'm gonna buy that album on mp3 right now that song i'm your pusher oh my god oh my god it's just like ice T was one of those dudes where you're like okay that that I think he's going to fucking kill me. I think he might actually kill me. Cause that was such he was such a game changer. Like before NWA, even, Ice T was hard in a different way. You know, like I think up until that point, you know, everybody looked at Eric B. and Rakim as the sort of gangster rappers. Yeah. You
2: well, know,
1: but yeah. Yeah, so.
2: What I like about Ice T, too, is he's never really changed. I mean, if you watch him on TV, on, on Law right. & Order, you know, he's still this this unsettled guy. Right. I saw him on a talk show the other day, and he has his own talk show that started he tonight, or today, or whatever, daytime talk show, he and his wife. And he came onto this talk show with two bulldogs <laughs> and just let them wander around the studio. Sure. Well, that's a player right, right.
1: there. Right, that's it, yeah. Sharon Osbourne, kiss my ass, here's what we right. do. Right. Yeah, I, I bring pit bulls to the set. Jesus right. Christ.
2: So he hasn't really changed. You know, he's he's gotten a little more docile, but he's still that same guy from Power, which is what's
1: awesome about right. him. Yeah, six in the morning, that's, you know... That's
2: not like, a, not it's like, a, like L.L. I, you know,
1: oh, I, it's, I,
2: I loved L.L. back in the day, but I really can't stand to watch him now.
1: Right, it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, I get it, you're rich, and you are really wanting to be nice, but... For a while You were the greatest Of all time Right You know And you You still might have it in you To drop a good album But
2: And he's dropping an album Too Is he really so, Yeah he's coming out With an album later this year
1: And and the thing is It's gonna You know It's It's That'll be hard But he's the only guy Who never left Def Jam Oh really Yeah He's out. Al- he's still on Def Jam today He was there When he was 17 years old And he's still there Like even the Beasties left You know But uh yeah, he 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 moved. He has stayed with them forever. So
2: yeah, the Beasties had a lot more talent than he right. did. Though they probably left because they needed to stretch their wings. Right.
1: They they left when they went to form. If you remember, they went to form Grand Royal. Grand Royal, right? Yeah. And then they what was their clo- They had a clothing company. I don't remember that. I think it was Ben Sherman. I think it's called. Oh, that's their company. I think it's so oh, let me check. I thought that was a British company.
2: Huh. Finding out all kinds of things tonight.
1: So it's so X Large is their company. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I get the Ben Sherman Gorilla confused with the X Large Gorilla. But okay, yeah, yeah they this yeah, that's the Beastie Boys clothing company. Cool. Yeah, so huh. so has Thanks. any music has any music made as much of an impact on you as hip-hop has in your life?
2: No. Not to that degree. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's always punk rock, there's always some amazing alternative right. band, but it's never been a game-changer like hip-hop was.
1: Right, I do, I do think that sort of hip-hop, for me, grabbed me and just turned my head in another direction to start walking down a different street altogether well you know so so
2: I think the thing of it too was being you know bringing it back to the Wassa connection it did the part of it was that nobody here had heard anything of it or liked it before so it was new to me it was you know something that I don't know that I felt I could bring to other people maybe I don't know
1: yeah yeah I mean that kind of thing I was you know I was neck deep in really angry shitty punk rock and it was you know, it was just something there was just something else there and you know and I'm not going to lie, part of it was you know, they're African American dudes you know, for the most part and it was, they were angry about it. for the most part, all of the hip hop that I really like is sort of more on the angry end of things and uh and they really sort of touch that in me too like there's no sort of denying the the rage uh in it takes a nation of millions to hold us back
2: well i was just thinking about that because it's interesting how we in of, wisconsin would be able to relate to a nation of millions but yeah. that's one of the most relatable records to me
1: right yeah you know it just I bought that record you'll appreciate
2: the story. I bought that record and I'm so excited to listen to it, but I had to do chores. With okay. Mom. So, I said, "Well, fine. I'll paint the bedroom, but we're listening to this record." Oh god. So, we sat there and I put the boombox up and we sat there and painted my bedroom or yeah. bedrooms or whatever it was and we listened to that album. She didn't appreciate it as much as I did, but it was a memory that stuck.
1: <laughs> just, just like follower of Farrakhan. And tell is me that you understand until you hear that. Oh God, yeah. This is the kind of stuff you listen to with your mother, right? Oh yeah, just yeah. right. That's just horrific. But you know, yeah, that's that's great. Your mom deserves a medal for that, you know, because <laughs> God knows if you'd want to sit and listen to your kids' music while you paint a, a bedroom with them. But yeah, I mean, just to sort of. Uh, like the the power of, Run's house, you know. Oh yeah. We've had a whole lot of superstars on yep. this stage tonight,
2: you know. That that song will still get me amped,
1: right? Or Mary Mary, yep. You know, all that stuff just sort of how right on they were, you know. And for me, the early years were were really tied into the lyrics. Who I thought was a great lyricist because back then everybody was a great lyricist otherwise somebody would smack you down and, right. you, and you didn't you no longer had the right to be here it was really competitive to the point of ending careers like I think Krs one ended MC Shan's career you know by defeating by defeating him with the bridge is over there's he Shan never came back from that.
2: Yeah, which is too bad because I think Shan was so much better than KRS. Right,
1: but that that one it was solo, overrated. You know, like, like to be fair, I think that Ether by Nas, if it was fifteen years before that, would have ended Jay Z. Yeah. The, the streets would have said, "No, you you got beat, you're done." You know, you took a shot and it's over. I don't care. Yeah, but at at
2: that time, the streets didn't matter anymore.
1: Right, exactly. But, uh, like, so here's the other thing that I like. Do you remember anybody battling Chuck D ever? No. Never once do I remember anybody going at them.
2: But he wasn't a battle MC.
1: No. But it didn't stop any. I mean, everybody. He had a message.
2: Yeah, but think about all the people that battled. They all they, they didn't have a message, they were just party rhymers. That's true. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck D had a message. He never he never said, Hey, we're here to get the party started because we're black and proud. Right, exactly. It was never that. It was always, you know it was always Chuck and his message and everybody could relate to that so they weren't gonna try to shut him down because he was a voice that they didn't have.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've always just yeah, he's always been that that sound of Black Steel and the hour of chaos. Or Terminator X Cole Lamping. That yeah. I mean just that I mean, I'll I'll put some of that stuff in the podcast, but just it's just abstract sound structure where you're like right. what the shit is like because up until that point, you know, it was run DMC and cool mode and these guys were making songs. And they you know but their even their albums were just songs, collections It was of songs. kind
2: of like the evolution of of the beatbox. Right. Because there weren't people beatboxing anymore, but you had Flavor doing these things over and over. Cold right. cold lamp and cold and yeah. cold the cold. Right. cold, exactly. cold yeah. You know, it was sort of that just making music without music.
1: Right. And so one of the things that we did talk about was De La Soul.
2: Oh yeah. One of my favorites.
1: That Three Feet High and Rising bonkers, Just yeah. bananas. Yep. You know. You know, that whole that whole sort of conscious rap cruise, them, a tribe called Quest, Native Tongues, you know, uh Moni Love, Queen Latifah, those guys Moni Love. I just yeah, I did <laughs> it. Love. That's right. Yeah. I did it. <laughs> you know. Um nice. But uh, you know, those guys like uh I don't know if you remember this, but on uh De La Soul, there was a, what what I always imagined was a recording of an orgy, yeah, you probably. know, and then the song Buddy, yeah, you know, oh god, just that stuff was was later, but you know, that, was La- just,
2: that whole thing was just the start of a new generation of hip hop,
1: yeah. Which we'll, we can t- we'll talk about in the next podcast, but so let's let's get to our endorsements. Oh, okay. So I, I'll i start. So I picked uh, three, and all of them are... I'll do all three of them together. They are all records, or they are all tapes that I still currently own that I bought through the Columbia House Record Club. Nice. So... 11 tapes for a penny or whatever the shit that was. However, you screwed up your credit when you were 17 years old. So, Public Enemy's first record, Yo, Bum Rush the Show. So this, in my opinion, or in my understanding of this, this is before Hank and Keith Shockley and the Bomb Squad really took over the background. It's, it's even before, I think, Terminator X. So it's just Chuck and Flavor as you know the as public enemy and there it's really i mean god there's a song in there uh my 98 it's a song chuck does about his oldsmobile yep you know that's just brilliant stuff
2: and it's haunting if i remember that record it was just it was sort of creepy in a sense yep. not not like horror creepy but there was just something otherworldly about it.
1: Oh, yeah. It was It was just... Right, because it was a standalone thing. Like, right. if you look back and watch the documentaries and stuff, those guys all talk about how Rick Rubin called Chuck. Chuck was a little bit older. He was an older guy. And uh, Rick called him every day trying to get him to, to, to do a record for him. And he fought and fought because he said, I'm an old man compared to, you know, guys like LL Cool J. But eventually came around and did this record. And it's just... You know, it's the beginning of of a sound and in, in a career that I friggin love. The second one is the the album titled "Rock the House" by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, who became DJ Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith. And so the the deal with this record specifically is, I bought it, I listened to it, and my little brother would verify this if he was here. I said. We've got to pay attention to these guys. They're going to be amazing. And it's the album before He's the DJ and I'm the Rapper, which contained Parents Just Don't Understand and I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson.
2: <laughs> which you like only because it's about boxing.
1: Right, exactly. But you listen to that song and that shit's funny. <laughs> yeah, so, it is. Um, that but, was a funny record. Yeah, and it's the... It's, I still think that DJ Jazzy Jeff is one of the defining DJs of all time. You know, he really, he really is a standalone sort of moment, and, and uh, he worked the crossfade better than anybody. So, um, and then my third is Run DMC, tougher than leather, just because it was. A, I literally skipped out of school to go to the mall with my yellow Walkman and sponge-covered headphones. To buy tougher than leather on tape. Oh so that right so that's oh Jesus that's right then I didn't get that at Columbia House. But yeah, okay, so the first two are for Columbia House. The the third one is from there. So nice. Your I've seen your list and your list is friggin' great so
2: go ahead. Yeah what's on my list? Oh Eric B and Rockham paid in full.
1: And as you know I believe that Eric er, or no sorry I believe that Rakim is the greatest MC of all time.
2: Yes, and I think Eric B. was one of the greatest DJs of all time, had he not fallen off due to drugs. right?
1: And now he's a record exec.
2: Are you walking in the woods? What's going on?
1: Sorry, that was me scratching my face.
2: <laughs> um, we're doing our podcast from outside today, yeah. folks. moon is beautiful, the stars are out. Um, yeah that was just that was a defining hip hop record because you had the greatest lyricist of all time you had this amazing DJ and it wasn't it wasn't a record about just lyrics or just music it was both they right. shared the bill yeah they put the DJ first like most groups did back then you know the music was always more important and the MC always seemed to be secondary but he did these amazing things like Chinese arithmetic oh. which is just it's it's sick you know, you think about a DJ behind two turntables. Putting something like that together, you just listen to the inc- intricacies of it and the layers, and it's just its amazing that somebody can do that. Without
1: back, a computer. Back then,
2: right. So it's just, yeah, thats that'll stand the test of time forever.
1: I, I also mean. really like about that, that uh, Rakim never wanted to be a rapper. Oh really? No. So he he had gotten a scholarship to play college football, hmm. and uh, and didn't go for some reason. I also think that Rakim is cool for me as a disaffected white kid because he was sort of the fir- my first uh, contact with the nation of Islam of all things. Yeah. And, you know, and he was he was a five percenter, and he was uh, a vegetarian. Remember, he was a, you know. Yeah. I don't eat fish and all you know right, all right. that stuff and it was just yeah he was he was a heavy dude like to, that uh, that writer Toure talks about how Rakim was such a powerful standalone thing that uh, the entire world of hip hop was going in one direction and Rakim stood in its way and the entire world of hip hop had to go around Rakim right and it's just like oh oh God. That's, you know, as a dude who likes to write about music, that's some serious thinking. I freaking love that. So,
2: but he could probably say the same thing about Kanye, who is not even in the same right. universe yeah. as Rakim. Rakim just did it because that was who he was. Right. He didn't. He didn't boast about it. He just. He did his thing. Right. Here's who I am. Take it or leave it. And it was. It was amazing to me. Yeah. The second. Record I put on was Paul's Boutique, which for similar reasons was yeah. just genre defining. Yep. And I know, you know, I mean, everybody, every critic in the world has said that, but it just changed, it changed that entire band. It changed the landscape of the music and the direction. It opened up the doors to people like De La, like right. the Tribe Called Quest, like the whole native tongue family. You know, they just people that were doing different and unique things could now say hey look at us because of what the beastie boys did
1: right i mean it was yeah there's just sort of no way to to overstate i mean because it really was it was it w- that record moved them out of hip hop altogether and into alternative music
2: But that's how they started.
1: Right, They started
2: as a punk band. Right. Then they moved into hip-hop. Then they moved into this sort of amalgamation of both. And then they moved back into alternative. And then they put out instrumentals. And then they come back to hip-hop. You know, it's like they bounced around so much that, you know, Paul's Boutique just just should be put on a pedestal to how much they really had to do with the music. Everybody talks about hip-hop being this black culture Music, You know, you talk about Public Enemy and Jay-Z and all of these people who are not white America that that built this new age of music. But nobody talks about how influential the Beastie Boys were. Right. And this album is really a testament to that. Wow. And I don't have a third, but in talking, you know, it might be something like... uh, Really had a lot of respect for Dougie Fresh's second album, uh, The Greatest Entertainer. Yep. Yeah. I think that did a lot of things. You know, that was sort of like his Paul's Boutique, where it became, you know, he did this party record with Slick Rick, and right. it was more of an EP, and then he did this full, full album. But there was sort of this musical bend to it that just didn't seem to be a part of hip hop at the time.
1: Yeah, I, I just sort of think Dougie Fresh didn't, has never had a sort of transcendent moment. Yeah. No. Like, like, I think he's sort of, you know, like, you know, like I just saw Bismarcky, and I think he's a little bit like that. Like, you know, if you know and you see Dougie Fresh on television, you immediately go, okay, what's Dougie Fresh doing? Right. Or, or he's like, I mean, like Africa Bambata. Like, if you. You know, for those of us who know and see Africa Bambat on television, we, we stop. Look, what is Bam going to say? Because whatever it is, it's going to be serious. Right. You know, with Dougie Fresh, it's the same thing. If he picks up a mic to beatbox, if you know, you stop and you pay attention. You know, because he's he's the originator. You know, and
2: and there's the beatboxing aside. You know, I think he was a, a decent lyricist. Right. Wasn't him by any means, but you know, I mean, he could keep a party going, and he was right. upbeat, and he was, you know, he was the quintessential hip hop artist, and I just think he didn't get as much credit as he could have or should have over the years.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much, how I mean, we're obviously going to be able to talk about this for many, many more podcasts, but yeah, I, I still am so proud of of you know hip-hop and how it's i'm proud of the fact that it's part of my life that you know i consider myself an old school head you know and i don't consider myself at all connected to a lot of the new school stuff so but all right buddy that's it that's it we're we're wrapping up all right all right
0: the bottom of hell, cause the black is back and it's bound to sell, Picture us cooling out on the 4th of July, and if you heard we were celebrating, that's a worldwide lie, yo Chuck, the federal rules man, trying to pull a 226 on your G. yo man, show Show them, show them what you got. This stuff seems wild. Wait before you treat me like a stepchild. Let me tell you why they got me on file. Cause I give you what you lack. Come right in the next sack. i will status, the the status, so I care where you at. Black like in that home, I got a call from Tony Rome I was tapping my telephone. I never live alone. I never walk alone. My posse's always ready, and they're waiting in my zone. Although I live the life that of a resident, but I've been knowing the scheme that of the president. Tapping my phone. Who screws abuse? I stand accused of doing harm. Come on, 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 come on I am a rock hard trooper to the bone, the bone, the bone. Full-grown, consider me stone once again, and I say it for you to know, The troop is always ready, I am Geronimo, your CIA, your CIA ain't kidding, both K and X, they got rid of both, a story untold, true but unknown, Professor Griff knows, yo I ain't no I say it once again I'm cause an enemy I'll never be a friend Of those with closed minds And know that I'm rapid. The way that I rap it Is making them tap it Yeah Never serving them well Cause I'm an I'm checking my code. and I bucket Cause I'm bugging my phone for information. No telling who's selling that power, building the nation. So, joining the set, the point blank target. Every brother's inside. So, at least nothing forget. No Taking the blame is not a waste. Here it takes a bit of a soul. so you can never be wrong. Just a bit of advice, cause we be paying a price. Cause every brother man's life is like swinging a dice, right? Here it is once again. This says the brother, the brother, the terminator, the cutter. Going on and on. We'll leave alone the throne. Get it straight in 80. And I'm to demonstrate. The posse always ready. 98 and 98. My posse come quick because my posse got velocity. They on my phone. Never leave me alone. I'm even lethal when I'm unarmed. you could come and get some of this i teach and speak so when it's focused no joke the voice of choice to play shakes with bass call for the treble. the rhythm is the rebel here's a funky rhyme that they're tapping on just thinking i'm breaking the beats i'm rapping on cia fbi only tell us is lies. when i say it, they get alarmed because i'm louder than a bomb